Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Next Stage. On today's episode, I had the incredible opportunity to have a great conversation with David Miller. David Miller is not only an icon of our sport from his cycling background, but I think even more so now with his art and creativity towards his brand and company, Chapter 3. With him constantly striving to reinvent himself and find creativity and push the boundaries, it was really inspiring to talk to him as an artist rather than a cyclist. And I think we had a great conversation where there was a lot of honesty and vulnerability which really, I think, shows two artists having fun speaking to each other about creative paths. So I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And yeah, enjoy. Hello? Hello, TJ. Hey, David. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's uh, pretty awesome to have you on the podcast and be able to just honestly talk to you in general. So thanks for, you know, uh, doing this, man. That's my pleasure. I'm curious. Um, I've seen you pop up in the last <laughs> few years and I was like, who's this kid? So, yeah. And I've got this thing for aqua teal at the moment, the color. And it's just, so yeah, it's, it's perfect timing. How are you doing anyway? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, I, yeah, I, I love how, you know, we've never actually really met, but yeah, the beautiful thing with social media is being able to connect with people that you've never met or even that people are, you know, we have similar friends. Uh, so it was always pretty cool to kind of be in contact. And then honestly, just finally ask, you know, see if you want to sit down and have a conversation. And uh, I'm so interested in what you're up to now. And uh, I'm a massive fan of you, Uh, not just like of your racing, um, but of you. And I love, you know, I grew up watching you race and uh, I just love that and your style. And so I just love where you've taken that off the bike and continued that. And so I'm really excited to, you know, talk to you about it uh, and hear about it. I, that's one reason I kind of have the podcast it's called The Next Stage, you know, for huh. the, what's, you know, as I made my kind of transition out of the that cycling ideology and pro-life uh, and kind of made the switch to, you know, more the artistic living and creating art all the time and uh that's again i wanted to create something a a podcast where people because i know so many cyclists you know it's such a big part of their life is that next stage you know and yeah so oh thank you tj i mean firstly thank you for the compliments it's um i i think as you're saying about social media it's one of those weird ones in the sense that often and uh, so much there's the negativity around it and yet and also the fact that we're addicted to it because of the very nature of its construct. But yet there, it opens up opportunities like this that don't exist. And the good stuff often gets kind of overwhelmed um, by all the bad stuff. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's really, I was just, as I was coming into my office, my study now, and I'd said to my wife, I was going to come and talk to you. And I was, I actually realized I, 
how old I am in the sense I was like, he's a really, he's a really interesting kid. And it's like, you're not exactly young, but at the same time you are. And it kind of, the, the difference between our, our generations is huge uh, in the cycling yeah. world, at least, and kind of the different things we got to experience for, for better or worse. And it's, uh, it does, it does make me feel warm inside that uh, somebody of your generation uh, kind of could say such nice things because I spent a lot of time thinking, oh man, I fucked everything up so bad. So, so thank you for that. It does mean a lot, and it's, uh, it's, uh, I, I, I value nice things. So. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's, uh, that's, I, that's a bummer to hear that you would say that about yourself to, you know, feel as though you fucked it up, you know, or that. Because I feel like it's it's just a part of the story. This is yeah. all just part of the story. Everything, you know, whether it's just not not just the cycling part of it, everything. This is all just a story, you know. And I don't know. I think it's just funny how we villain, you know, villainize people, or you know, still hold grudges for people for the past. Or I don't know. I just think it's. I, I think for even when people aren't in situations, how can you even judge? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like. I think I've talked to so many people who, you know, are ex-pros or pros. And it's just when you're not in that situation where you have to, you know, you're not, you're not there. I, I don't know. I just, it's mm. life. That's, that's, you know, part of the story. I've made so many, you know, mistakes in my life and luckily they weren't published. Like, you know, sadly, a lot of people, you know, and mm. uh, I just, you know, if I can, you should be able to just forgive everyone you know even especially yourself you're so we're so quick a lot of times oh not everyone but if you're a good person to forgive others quick but then we're the worst the worst critics to ourselves can can you and in my usual kind of uh, geeky way i was just reading some interviews about you and stuff before but i don't you're talking about the fact you're on this kind of this next stage okay what is your cycling background? Kind of what, what is this next stage for you? Uh, for me, you know, I started with, the, I grew up just idolizing your era. So Lance, Hincapi, you, Zabriskie, uh, Vandeville, all those guys, you know, at the age of 12 and growing up and just purely loving the racing and, uh, I just went full gas for it. And then I signed with BMC development team, came over to Europe, moved over to Europe, lived in Belgium uh, for two, for two years. And then lived in Holland for two years. Oh shit. And I just, the, honestly, I've, the more, it's been fun talking to a lot of riders. I talked to Rick Zobel last week, Rohan Dennis a few weeks ago. And as I talk to everyone and as an artist myself right now, I've, really come to the idea ideology of deconstructing yeah and so that's all artists are is we just deconstruct to recreate yeah and as i've done that to go back to my past and deconstruct the things you know i see now it's like i allowed you know and i say this now to the youth or other young cyclists i allowed too many others views and uh goals to be my goals in cycling mm. so you know it was very american to be a gc rider at the time it was very american to like just so everyone was kind of bred to be like this gc rider 
And it was like, I was talking to Rick last week and I said, I wish someone would have just told me to like, just race my bike. (laughs) Don't like, don't. And as you know, that's when I did my best, you know, my best results were when I just went full, full gas and just let loose. Yeah. You know, Colorado classic, I was off from the start to the finish, you know, got caught right at the line by Alex house, but that was no plan. No, it was just me being creative in the moment. And if you watch those YouTube videos, it's like me like playing with the crowd and like hyping everyone up and being myself. And that success then allowed others for me to allow others into my ear. So I allowed too many other people's opinions and thoughts into how I should have, you know, train, how I needed to then race, how do I need, you know, all right, hey, you're, you had this success, you're now a GC rider, let's hold you back and, you know, or this. And I don't know, I just, for me, that's kind of, I got corrupted. I got too, too corrupted in that. And for me, I'm a very addictive personality. So anything I do, I think a lot of cyclists. Yeah, I think have that. I think most of us are on this. Yeah, the best ones are are essentially on the spectrum. Oh yeah, yeah, the best like, ones are fully spectrum. You know, it would be rehab facility for you, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's not normal, but but yeah. as, as it, the turning point was actually when I met my wife, and I I, I knew right when I met her that I was going to marry her and. Like I just knew, we just both knew it was this crazy, um, feeling. And then, um, it just, that all of a sudden changed me where all of a sudden it took, it started slowly taking away my ego and also started slowly, I don't know, removing the fun of being on the road all the time, or it just, it made it different. And then all of a sudden when she told me she was pregnant and, you know, I was also, I'm still super young. And so having this you know you were you were 25 yeah and at that time also our team had lost a sponsor and Mm -hmm. it's not that I mean that happens in cycling that's normal but in my mind I was like well I raced all year like I I was also on a two-year contract so what happened like how come you know again it's super you know natural for cycling terms but that really kind of flipped my mind like well wait why am I relying upon others you know because I started complaining during that winter and I didn't like it Mm. and so from that point then it was about planning to develop my own way of how I truly love to ride and how I can you know monopoly uh like make money from it and Mm. create it because I just realized man pro riding is not just one form pro racing or pro and like the way you ride the bike, it's not just one form, you know, yeah. you now ride the Brompton, Yeah. you know? And so for me, it was like, okay, I, I love to be, my mind is always jumping from one thing to the other and wanting to be creative. And so tying that down to just racing and structured training like that, it was just slowly suffocating me without me realizing it until it, I basically did suffocate that side of me. And then it was like, okay, now it's just like allow this creativity to build around it and now i've created imaginary collective which you know it's great it's a great Giro, it's a great you know, name yeah it well that's it I, I was listening there's this great documentary that i truly not a documentary i guess snowboarding video yeah uh that red bull did uh and uh it's a uh, as a uh, as a 
as the crow flies, I think. Mm. And it has these incredible uh, just little like snippets that are really inspiring. And it talks about imagination and how it's, you know, the core root of uh, life, honestly, you know, without it, we don't have passion. And without it, we don't have creativity and we don't have creation, Yeah, you know? And then I was talking to Finney when I was creating all this mm. and, you know, I was like, what, you know, imaginary collective came to my mind. And I was, cause I wanted us to imagine you know, create things, but then come to get come together as a collective to create it rather than it being based off of, hey, the sponsor, give me this product. I race. Yeah. And that's it. You know, I wanted to actually create this this actual platform to work with our sponsors and partners to create then this this really cool feeling where now to me, it's just like taking my art and putting it to cycling. So you know, it's talking to our clothing company or to, you know, Santa Cruz or to and being like, hey, let's design this or how can it's never ever like, hey, pay us this much money and send us this product. Yeah. It's yeah. not. It's, it, I would rather create something and leave a legacy than get a paycheck. Quid pro quo. Yeah, it's I got two questions on this one. That's what I'm probably flipping around. You should be. But um, the. I was asked this, and because I, when I stopped racing, I raced at elite level for eighteen years, at kind of world tour level. So I was thirty-seven when I stopped with a, with my two-year ban in the middle of it all. But I was kind of just going hard, turning pro at nineteen to when I stopped when I was yeah thirty-seven, and it was hugely disruptive, kind of stopping. Uh, the next year. Uh, I mean, that's where we can talk about that in a bit, like this chapter three, et cetera. But I was asked, um, have you heard of Dr. Steve Peters? He is, uh, uh-huh. he is the, um, the genius behind probably, next to Dave Brailsford, he's the biggest influence on all the British cycling success. He's a forensic psychiatrist. Um, he's was the dean of, uh, I think, he was a dean of medicine at Sheffield University. He... Uh, probably one of the smartest and loveliest people I've ever met. And he's helped me sporadically through my life um, with whenever I had serious mental health problems. Uh, I've never had therapy, but I'll go and see Steve. And he'll just kind of talk to me because he's hyper-rational. And in that year out, um, I was having some real issues. I was addictive, personally kicked in in a negative way, drinking too much, destructive, etc., and uh, my sister um, told me, you speak to Steve or I'm going to go and I'm going to come across, I'm going to bring Steve across to you because you've got to sort this out. And I spoke to Steve. One of the first things he said was, uh, what do you miss? And, and I thought that's such a, it was such a poignant question because I was filling a hole. That, and I had to just sit there and I said, oh, God, what do I miss? I was like, I miss the camaraderie. I miss racing, because I love racing so much. And I miss start lines and finish lines. I, I loved just how finite life was as a bike racer. And, and I said, I, I miss that. I don't miss the training. I don't miss the glory. I don't miss the success. And, and, he, and he said, David, that's, that's an interesting answer. 
um, because if you miss the camaraderie and you miss the those finite goals, you can recreate those. And you're going to have to go and find them and you're going to have to build a team and you're going to have to fix goals because that's obviously what drives you. And he said it's it's good because it's not as if you miss anything that's irreplaceable. And and that's, when you talk about the next stage, that, that's what it's been for me since uh, very much my next chapter has been that. And so for me, it's asking you, even that day when you're talking about in Colorado, where you're off the front and amping the crowd up, or those best days racing, or when you, in, and I'll say it, I'll, I'll actually put it like this, endured four years in two in Belgium and two in the Netherlands, why were you doing it? What were the good days? And, and what, what did they feel like? Yeah, I, I mean, I love, uh, this is cool. I love this conversation. Um, no, I, uh, that's a really interesting, the good days and why, why was I over there and why was I doing it was completely because of others. Right honestly um and that's because i wasn't allowed to i don't i don't think i was too afraid to find for myself so i just stayed at the team house in belgium when i should have branched out and gone to spain and you know done my own thing i would have you know been in a better training area i would have been better you know maybe surrounded by other americans or something but again i was just listening to others opinions too much and uh, I also, I think, again, I was talking to Rick kind of out about this. And uh, when I look back now, I mean, I, I think I was really um, living a lot of like my dad and brother's dream um, that that was pushed, not not like in, in a negative way, yeah. not like they. So it just was my brother is 16 years huh. older than me. And so that was a way we first connected. So that first race, I still have, enjoy every memory of it. I enjoy all that time. I, and then it, so that's still what connects us is when we go out and ride. Stay, same with my dad. It allowed us to go out and spend hours men. and really it's communicate. How men could, and it's really, how men bond. And yeah, yeah it, in a, in a, and in a accelerated way as well, because you can't, you know, that you can go out and race the same race as a grown man at age 12, you know, you can't do that in a lot of sports, you know? And so that allowed you to really bond quicker and talk about. And so, like I said, you kind of get then excited that everyone's excited and it, you build it. And like I said, it's still, you're still happy you did it and you still love cycling. But the best way I tell people is it felt like I was in a river, like the proper river, but I was swimming upstream rather than, just huh. going with the flow, you know, and finding why, finding why I love to ride. And that took me till that, you know, till really like last year or to really discover why I love riding. And that's then when it took the point to take up the courage to tell these sponsors, like, Hey, it's not, a, we're not going after winning. We're not going after this. We're going after creativity. We're going after, you know, I, I believe the bike is the most incredible therapy for, I think yeah. you can agree for mental illness. I I think for I think it's it's an, it would be an incredible tool to have for people that are dealing with suicide. Mm. You know, um, to be able to go on your bike and ride with people. And I don't know. I just think the bike 
it connects people so well and yeah. it's such a beautiful thing and what i started realizing was man i can connect more to people through that and i am connecting more through people like that than i am yeah. through me winning you know and so i was like i'd rather mm -hmm. target that audience rather than the race type the winning type because i never was you know i, I just yeah i was i was going to these races uh expect you know setting goals and ideas that others would put on me rather than like i said really sitting down and mm. figuring out why you love it and why your what your goal is to do and uh like i said i was good at it and i was talented which got me far like to the development ranks but that final percent yeah. which you know like i i remember like turg and runfart which is a 10-day uh rate u23 race and at that time, it was like always a high level. And I remember racing against Alaphilippe, uh, you know, all those guys mm. right now who are winning. And I was six overall in that race <laughs> with the best young rider jersey. But it just, like I said, I was, I never really took yeah. the time for myself and make it for myself. I was yeah. listening to too many people. And I was trying to be BMC's version of pro rather than just who I am. You know, I'm not. I'm the farthest thing from a European, yeah. you know. There's a like, it's, I tell you, because you'll have to excuse because my, my head can go on tangents. Um, there's a, so first of all, fathers and sons and brothers is this amazing thing. There's a few books that are written about it. There's a book um, in the UK by Nick Hornby called Fever Pitch, which is about soccer. And it's about a father and a son and their relationship is all based around the routine of doing nothing together, but watching football. And it's actually a psychological kind of term for it, but it's what, it's the, what they had, but there's a much better book, which you, you might know there's a 1990s film, a river runs through it. And it's, uh, uh, uh oh, God, it's I've... the book is, yeah, I no, read it, it out. through it. It's by Norman McLean. It's in my top 10 books of all time. It's quite a short book. Um, I mean, it's a couple of hundred, two or three hundred pages, I think. But it's, um, it's the most beautiful thing. You're right. He wrote it when he was 76 years old, and it's about him and his brother uh, growing up, I think, in Montana. And, and the river runs through it is the fact that the only thing that connected him and his brother was fishing. They had nothing else in common and it was their dad. And that was all they had in common with their father was fly fishing. So the three of them, and that's the, the title of the book, A River Runs Through It, is the way they just, they then decoded their whole life through fly fishing. It's most, it gives me goosebumps now. It's the most beautiful book. I do recommend reading that. But it's, there's another thing, and this is like amazing, uh, in, there was a study done, I think about 15 years ago, about siblings, brothers in first league soccer in Europe. And they, they studied how, because it often happens that they end up doing the same thing, obviously, nurture as much as nature. But what they found was the older brothers often played defense and the younger brothers were in, uh, they were for attacking midfield. So the psychological kind of explanation was that the older brother didn't want to let down the family, the father, how they got into it. 
and that older brother allowed that gave permission in a way for the younger brother to be more attacking because they didn't have to look up other's interests the, the older brother had already done that it's an amazing study and whenever i bring it up people our minds are just yeah, bent. so and and that yeah and that's that's and that's then leads me so, to this i guess the fact you have the courage to say you're an artist is 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 very courageous because it's not something i i i'm still burdened with kind of i don't want to say i'm an artist or and yet i've always loved it and it's where I, my life is now and and I, I i admire that greatly in you um there's a, it's a well wow, done on that. that there's honestly i i feel like you you feel you'll you'll you feel this i remember the first feeling i felt where i was like i okay i'm i can i'm an artist and it was it was after you just felt like you went somewhere within that you're like okay this is allowing me but it's not like all of a sudden you're at this like level or it's like it's always continuing to grow and all it is is like being an artist i've realized mm. is just vulnerability the more vulnerable and honest we can be and i get really inspired off of watching i watched some uh some documentaries the other day mm. on keith herring and on jean michel and uh it's just it's, it's pure beauty when you watch on uh keith and it's just this simple like hour documentary on keith herring on youtube and you should you uh, should you should look at matisse i love matisse is the most amazing in the sense that by the time he got to his in his final i think his final years he was lost the ability to i think because of well properly because of rheumatoid arthritis so he was fabulous artist and he was then in I think essentially demobilizes in the coat this year. So what he did was he he sourced lots of colored paper and had big tailor's scissors and then just started cutting shapes because he could use these those big tailor scissors that his hands would work. And then and yet to this day, now what Matisse is most famous for is that final five years of work where actually he'd lost the ability to to use his skills, but what he kept pumping it out in a different way he've got tailor scissors he got his assistant to find colored paper and he started making collages and that's what matisse is now famous for and you think that's an artist that's somebody who doesn't that doesn't give up that's i mean that's it's like they just have to get it up exactly well and that's and well we talked about our addiction and so and i think you were going to ask me yeah. how my transition was from mm. kind of leaving and for me it was super simple because my art had started taking off my final few years of cycling. And so I was already applying so much energy towards that, that I then, once I left cycling, I just applied it towards that. And, you know, I'm just in the studio. And then I learned, you know, over time, I've learned to control that addiction to, you know, yeah. balance things out. But uh, I mean, just like a Matisse, like, like you said, you find a way to get over mm. the obstacle. And that's why it makes it so valuable because no matter if he lost his arms or this, like he still found yeah. a way to create. And most people don't create most of their life. You know, they stop as soon as they, they you know, enter junior, junior high and they stop doodling. And 
uh for me as well like going back to like it's all about vulnerability and honesty and being yourself so often that you know and like I said going back to Keith Haring you know here's someone that like I remember seeing one piece and uh he did in this like men's bathroom for uh people who had AIDS at the time it was like a like a rescue or you know a place for people to go and they had like 50 artists come to this location and paint and Keith chose this bathroom and like just the way he painted was just so raw and real and honest and like you know he was so real with expressing Mm. his sexuality you know like I just for me if I, I even even I haven't even gotten to that pure level of you know, artistry, where it's like nothing purely fears you, you could draw anything. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's just you being telling a story or being honest, where, you know, most people, they they fear if like, oh, if I draw this, will someone think this of me or this of me or that? And it's like, yeah, that's the whole point is to get people to think is to get people to question is to get people to talk. You know, that's what artists are here to do is to show like, we're, you know, and like I said, I'm not even there's I'm I'm so far from even. And that's why I look forward to being, you know, 50, 60 years old when, you know, hopefully I keep applying these, you know, meditation, healthy habits, you know, other things that will help balance me out and help grow my creativity. And I can't wait to see where I, I'll be then, because just like I think I learned from cycling, as long as you apply discipline, hard work you know, and like daily discipline, just like anything, it's, you're going to get better. You know, if you only draw once a year, it's the same thing as if you only ride a bike once a year. Uh, I mean, it's it's everything. That's always, I mean, because the drawing was, I was sitting here, got my son's because drawing was always my thing when I was a kid. And like to this day, I can probably weirdly draw. I can, I can draft, draw anything I see. It's one of those weird things I have, but I never, I could never turn it into art. So I didn't, I can replicate everything I see, but I can't actually turn it into an words. On the other hand, I can write, I can turn that into emotion. I can't do it with pictures, um, which is with photography. It doesn't really entrance me. Although some, I, I love photography. I love pe- people that do it, people that do art, but my thing is, is words. And I think more design. I love design. I love words. And so I completely get what you're saying because of this, it's something that's always frustrated me when I often see people jumping into art. And if you look at Dali, you look at Soulage, you look at, you look at Soma, you look at Picasso, all of these names that are kind of their historical Matisse, they were insanely well-trained. They could, they were the most oh, yeah. ab- absolute, amazingly well-trained artists who could do anything, classical, any form they wanted. So, but if, any style. Any style, any, that's, yeah. that's you know, I, I talk to my friend all the time about that, not having the fear to just do yeah. anything, like always practicing new styles, I actually, as you mentioned, you know, Picasso and uh, Dali and 
like you said, you know, you could, they could do anything they wanted. And you, like I, I loved this. My art teacher taught me because uh, I did a few years of well, year of uh, university. But what a lot of people don't know about me is actually from the ages 10 to 17, I studied at basically university level of like uh, 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 airbrush, airbrush, so liquid I lead. I love that stuff. I couldn't do it. Yeah, so it would, yeah, it yeah. would look like a photo. That was before we had, before Photoshop, it was airbrush. Yep. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, I uh, got crazy good, but it eventually just drove me crazy because it just is so it looks like a photo so it's so draining and then it's funny because those yeah. pieces never sold exactly, and it's yeah. because like you said it's yeah it's just the photo it's just the photo of the writer or the photo of the you know and it's that's when i learned like man people aren't buying you know this subject yeah. matter or they're actually buying you you know what you put into it and yeah uh and i think again people people yeah. already know what real life looks like they want that's why it's up to artists to take things to deconstruct it and to yeah. re reimagine it without it our civilization civilization would be you know to a halt you know with and it would just be so much so boring honestly i honestly i i think the spark to life is passion you know for craft and art and I think without that, it's pretty this is, you know, this is, boring. Yeah, I, I agree. Let's just maybe think of something. So, um, obviously, our parents, our siblings, our families, we're, we're dilutions to a certain degree. And if we're lucky, we're, we're amplifications of them. But more often, dilutions is none of my family were into drawing or art, or nor sport. So these were things that I was... Uh, autodidactical about you know just kind of just taught myself and so I'd read books and kind of figure this I'd read books about bike race I'd read books about art and and going back to the art bit I and this is and I use it to with even with when I'm teaching Archie because there's a, a there's a thing that you'll notice children and you've now got a daughter so it, the simplest thing you can teach them is when you're drawing something, because you'll notice kids do it, they'll spend more time looking at what they're drawing, the actual, what's it, the piece of paper, than they do at what they are drawing. So you've got to teach them to spend more time looking up and registering, then you do brief moments drawing, then look up again. And if you do that, it's, it's just a simple skill. And nobody teaches anybody that. <laughs> spend more time looking up and less time looking down and anybody can draw. It's like, it's, 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 it's the best, it's the simplest trick in the world. Honestly, that's, uh, I remember uh, one of my favorite kind of singers, he said uh, a quote like that, like, you know, stop yeah. looking at the ground and just look at the sky. Like you're not gonna, you're yeah. limited when you look at the ground, when you look up, your opportunities and imagination it's endless and you know yeah you like what you're saying that simple you know look at the image you're drawing not you know uh, trust your hand trust your skill and look at it you know actually study it don't look at what understand it and it's a it's a a brilliant thing because um and then you look back at and this is what i was saying before regards all these artists that are, are nice 
the masters that often weren't of their time were often also often never, also never. um polymathic to a certain degree and they did lots of different things and they were working and they the reason they were so good was because they were doing as you said before they never stopped they were addicts they were and they also they they weren't making any money so to take jobs left right and center and so they'd be sculpting they'd be painting a ceiling <laughs> yeah. they'd be doing portraits they'd be doing this actually they were just working yeah never and say no to that, an opportunity <laughs> never say even if you can't yeah. do it and I, you I, have to grow and too. that's it and i think that's totally missing it's it's a, that's a kind of metaphor for life you know it's like if you kind of everyone thinks oh yeah i could i could do that it's like mm, you probably couldn't the reason it looks so easy is because they're so <laughs> just, fucking good yeah it's uh yeah and um and I guess that's, and going, if we go full circle now back to, to kind of where we were at the beginning, going back to cycling, it's, can, do, do you find, was the absence of what your, the state of flow that you clearly get from your art, did you ever find it in, in sport? Uh yeah, there was always these uh, essence of, you know, nirvana or peace. Can, can, you, define, can, you, can you define but what that is for They you, were though? always... Oh, yeah, that's, you know, when your body's at the end of four hours and it's just exhausted and you're out there. I was out there riding and the sun is setting. You know, it's just like that full sense of when you just feel your body's exhausted so nothing else can really enter it so you're just are at one with looking around and i live in the desert and so it's just it's super easy to escape and that's what i realized was what i loved doing was just that escape going out there being by myself and you know having that kind of felt feeling feeling of oneness and uh also just like i don't know radical experience I just felt like uh, for me, I've made that transfer over to gravel and because mm. I th felt like it was the closest yeah. abstraction to art because here was there, you know, again, it's like, there's no rules and that's what I love. I don't, there's no UCI. There's no anything. There's no USA cycling. There's no, it's, you could show up on a fat tire bike. You could show up on this gravel bike. You can, you know, there's yeah. no rules of what a gravel bike is. Yeah. There's no rules of what, and that's what art is. There's no rules of what art is. And I think it's so silly when people say, oh, man, this person is, you know, has potential or this person is uh, a bad, like, I don't like this person's art. Or, and it's like, you might not, you might not like it, but someone else in the world did, will. And also that person had mm -hmm. the courage to at least do that. And that the normal person usually never has enough courage to do that because, like you kind of like you know with uh and i'd love to for you to talk in the chapter three now uh you know this is something you created and you when you did that you had to be vulnerable because you don't know how everyone's yeah. always going to react yeah. to it yeah you know yeah i mean chapter three I mean, it's your art form i get to that because i mean that's that's my life project if you like chapter three <laughs> yeah it's like that's that's a, okay a whole different kind of challenge if you like but i i, I go back to because the those flow days, I was, I never liked 
the kind of the the slow stuff, the monotony. I liked the int- I kind of got quite. I like the intensity, and I used to always refer to it as Arthur C. Clarke. So when I was a teenager, I used to read a lot of science fiction, not fantasy science fiction. Greg Bear, Orson Scott Card, Arthur C. Clarke, etc. And Arthur C. Clarke, in his biography, has got a wonderful biography. He said, "When we get old," and I think he wrote it when it's like in his late seventies, mid late seventies. He said, "Your memory, you you don't you just can't remember everything you've done." It's, it's just, it's impossible. It's there. But what you do remember are the magic days. Those days, there were moments in your life that was, and they were peaks or they were pits, you know, it's, it's often one end of the spectrum. And I used to always say when I was a pro bike racer, I, I was capable of having five magic days a year on a bike where nobody could touch me. And it was, and I often didn't know where they come from. It would be pure flow, where you could just go and nothing, everything worked. You could read everything. You could feel you felt nothing. And I could do it in a prologue or I could do it at a 240K stage. They would just be, it could go either end. And but when it happened, it was just literally magical because there was a state of consciousness where there was absolute and nothing and could read things. You could almost see, you could see what was going to happen before it happened. And those were, those were what kept me going for kind of the, the duration of my career. And it's what brought me back into sport because I knew I could do it again. And it's why I stopped because they stopped happening. In my final two years, I didn't have one magic day. And that's when I retired. I was like, I'm done. I can't, uh, the magic days are gone, which meant I couldn't do it anymore. And it was more my head wasn't capable of kind of creating that space. And, and so that for me has always been quite, I often, and if we go back, if you go back and look at interviews and even my books, I've written about those magic days. And that's why, that's why I asked you, because those, I can, I can remember every, and there's dozens yeah. of them. And I'd probably talk you through every single moment know, of that day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I have not as many as you, but uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I know, know what you were asking prior is, yeah, it's easier for me now with my art because I feel mm. that in every piece that's cool. now. That's that's why it's easy for me. And that's why I don't suffer as much like a lot of other people where they're still like in the sport and still pay attention. Like I don't honestly, I rarely watch, I never read about uh, cycling and because I'm just, I believe also we're here, you know, we're here for such a short time. We don't know when we're going to leave. So once we can find our craft or just what we can create, then just don't stop you know and like for me it's just about creating as much art as possible putting out as much as i can do and just focus on my craft you know because i believe there's so much distraction in the world i mean yeah we have to be aware of what's going on in the world but to a point where we allow it to then control who we are rather than oh this is happening here all right well now back to my skill back to focusing on my craft because i believe we're much bigger than the petty issues we're doing, you know, like, I think it's ridiculous that racism is still a thing. 
you know it's like as an artist i just can't believe that we're not focused on just constantly creating like i said we're 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 so far back on worried about people's sexuality or the color of their skin or their yeah. religion and it's like what i suppose to, uh, we, we, focus we have on, the privilege though like if we could to, actually of that freedom to think like that you know the space to think yeah with where... cyclists but i we, you know i also then as a cyclist you know i knew that and i was aware we had that space because we were privileged like that to be able to take a step outside and breathe fresh air every day and not be, be white inside a cube every day and I also then, yeah, but I also then when I left, made a plan and was like, I'm not going to then like, just because I'm leaving that, I'm not giving up that freedom. You know, I actually then created more for myself because I believe we can. It's not, it's not, I I didn't say I was chasing money. I didn't say I left the sport to chase, to become a millionaire. Mm. I could care less about that. All I care about is having my freedom, like my Uh, creativity, like Nobody, nobody can yeah. touch me. If they, uh, you know if what? They that's exa- me, that's you know exactly what, I mean? like, what chapter three is for me, because it's it's my freedom. It's yeah. It's I've never looked for investment. There's never the way. It's a clean company I partner with a, a wonderful man I call Mikael Rasmussen. Just the two of us that own it, and Mikael's just uh, an amazing human being. You should check him out. Um, but let's make a B. Rasmussen, not the cyclist. But um, he's an ex-economist anthropologist who, who's into cycling. And chapter three for both of us is literally, we want to do something where we don't have bosses, where, and also where we both love cycling and we love creativity and we're ambitious. And, and we just sort of got to go, well, why can't we do something different in the cycling sphere? Why do, does everybody have to be one thing? As you said, you've gone from road to gravel, but why does it have to be that kind of that, that quantum leap, if you like, from one genre to another? It should all be the same. You know, it's, we're just, yeah. we ride bikes. Why does bikes. it have to stop? Just we ride bikes, you know, it's, we ride bikes and we, we run and we do sport. And, and my thing with three is I, I genuinely believe we, there are three things in our life. There's family, there's work, because we all have to work, whether you like it or not, and very few people don't have to work, and if they don't, they probably should, because it will help them. There's a third space, which is your space, the individuals. That's the, as you're talking about the creativity, that's the, we often will coin it mindfulness, it's wellness, it's, it's well-being, it's, it's fitness, it's kind of, and I thought, well, why can't chapter three be that space? Every single one of us, we're not, we, because of my OCD spectrum like behavior, of course our product's going to be amazing, collaborations, but actually what chapter three should be, if you're in a chapter three product, we represent that space. That's what chapter three is. We're that third space for people. So, and that's where I want to get chapter three to in a few years where we're creating some of the most innovative and beautiful marketing campaigns with a cross-section of products that goes road dirt street we do off bike but actually all hyper sustainable as well although we'll never be sustainable because we're a business but i've removed everything from uh, that's far away if you like so everything's being made in the uk or nearby in europe nothing in asia anymore 
not because it, it's just because it's too far. <laughs> and and so chapter three for me is, and and I should say this to many people, TJ. I I didn't win the Tour de France when I spent most of my life being coined to win the Tour de France from a kid, and and that really frustrated me, and and I made mistakes along the way, and I had the genetic makeup, etc., and could wrong time, wrong place, mistakes, and not the right mental capacity to do it. And I thought, well, actually, maybe chapter three is my Tour de France. This is, I can do something that nobody's ever done before, is do something that's really interesting, that by 2030, it's the biggest cycling brand in the world. And by, but done ethically with a small company, with the right people, with the right messaging, and, and really inclusive. And so from this year onwards, we, women are coming in and we're treating that as a total separate universe within chapter three. We're going to start different genres of cycling. We're not borrowing shitloads of money. We're not taking investment. It's not a flip business. And you think, yeah, no, we'll do this right. And I think it's possible. And by doing that, we can do really cool stuff as well because it's only me and Mikhail that, that make the decisions. So we can do crazy adverts. We can go into different uh, product ranges. We can minimize. We can choose our factories. We never have to listen to a board who are just chasing returns on their investment. And so, yeah, so chapter three is likely going to be my life project of kind of just proving that it is possible to do something that everyone has told me is impossible. Um, yeah, so I'm like, you know what, fuck it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that's it, it, as you say that it's honestly it's like hearing myself. Uh, um, just because, first off, again, when people tell you, "Hey, no, I don't think this is possible," it's you can't. Make, you get a you get yeah. like I get an yeah. I I get excited off that it it pushes me. Like if someone yeah. says, no, you can't do that. I'll show them. No, I can't. Yeah. I'm a road cyclist who just signed with Santa Cruz. Like I, I, I really love that is doing the, impossible oh, TJ, you should, you should watch my um, the TED talk I did earlier normal, last year. You know, that's, that's, that's the, the whole concept. What? Is exactly oh my what gosh. Y'all go right check now. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, your chapter three is my imaginary collective, you know, where I wanted to be and, you know, expressive, creative. And it's funny, like, as I'm now in this marketplace, you know, cause I don't like it. People yeah. will be like, Oh, you're a gravel team. And yeah. it's like, no, 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 mm. no, we're a creative, like we're a creative field, you know? And uh, I like the like, synchronicity as well. Cause Bobby Julius this year that I'm so excited because team, didn't he? And then, uh, and then, because he was my first when I turned pro, yeah, we lived together oh my. in Nice back in 1997. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. So you are that. So then, I really love Bobby, and I think because like you, like I mean, yeah, me and you, it Not seems like the same, same personality, personality type, and Bobby's very numbers. Yeah, yeah. At all, but then his wife is the same as us. You know, she's like. When I heard how they met and everything, I was just like, wait a second. Yeah. She sounds like a guy version of me right now. Or like, you know what I mean? You're just like, she sounds cool, Bobby. Like, and then I like that whole year, uh, I worked with Bobby 
and that was a super bummer that he then had to leave the next year because Bobby is so incredibly smart. Yeah, yeah, completely. Knows, you know, he just applies. That's his art, you know. And what was me and him? I felt like worked really nice together because I huh. I realized that was his art form, yeah. and that wasn't mine. So I would just get out of the way. Mm. Whereas a lot of athletes kind of yeah. try doing their own spice or doing this and. You know, yeah. yeah, there would be days maybe I wasn't able to do training or there are off days, but for the most part, I would just like, then you, and, you know, whatever he yeah. said, I would do. He's a legend. Uh, uh, I, you know, he would have like yeah. this two, two to three year plan. Yeah, he'd have like this two to three year plan, but then, you know, he was gone after a year. So, uh, and after working with him, you know, I realized I was like, I was working with him and I was at my best. And after working, not working with him anymore, and it was like, all right, well, he's. I, I just felt like, honestly, I felt like abandoned, and because I, you just build, you know, cycling, you really build the relationships, and you really build, uh, and so like, coaches, you're talking to him almost every day, and so then like, do you want to know? Do when all know, of a sudden you, you find out that? he's leaving yeah, the team, I'm, you're I'm just pretty bummed, you know, and you're just like, like this, like this. Sorry, I got cold, so I'm all over the place. Um. There's a book called Power of Moments. It's written by Chip and Dan Heath. And going back to those magic days and what you were just saying about Bobby, is as humans, we, we tend to, we, we label um, uh, our memories depending on the emotional context we were in. That's kind of what we're designed to do. We don't remember rational stuff. We remember emotional moments. So what you were saying about Bobby, and especially when you've been through that cycling life, you get to the moments you get to experience. Very few people get uh, at the extremities. It's um, you know, as you you said before about, I mean, not many people are going to find themselves in the Netherlands or find themselves in the Dolomites like five hours in on their own, scared and cold, and not knowing what to do. You know, but that's kind of it, that's what then you remember those moments because you remember them to make sure you don't do it again. <laughs> so it's labeling. And, but then there's also the positive of that with people like Bobby and there's often those, they're there to support you when the things, when you're going through those really tough times, they actually have to be those, those figures that kind of help you through them. And so you have these bonds and then all of a sudden they go and you're left just like, okay, who's next? <laughs> Who's going to help me next? And often you just end up on this search the whole time. And it's very rare to, to, to find people like that. And, and well, I, like, I never got to, Bobby and I had a very different relationship, but it's, uh, I think it's probably one of our mutual regrets is that he, we were neither in a position where he could have looked after me enough. And I, I didn't want to be looked after. But otherwise, I'd have loved to have had Bobby as, a, as looking after me because he'd be brilliant. He's a, a lovely, lovely human being. Yeah, he's one. Uh, I think I also love the idea of, um, you know, me having the creative side and not having to worry about numbers and that side. So I was, it felt like I was basically getting <laughs> free brain. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> and... I also love the fact that like his training, it did push me to my absolute limit. Like it got me to a level, you know, I remember doing tour of Croatia that year and the, like three of the guys in the top 10 ended up, you know, testing positive 
and it was right before the Giro and I was 12th overall, you know, and that was like, Bobby had me at this great fitness level. I remember we went to tour of California the next week we did, you know, racing against hmm. Egan Bernal when he won and everyone was like, TJ, why aren't you, you know, why aren't you up there with them? And Bobby was like, are you kidding me? Look hmm. at his numbers. He would show them my numbers and be like, he's pushing numbers he's you know never done before this is the first time we've done a world tour race you know so let's chill but so he's it was great and uh yeah no so it was always nice but yeah it's yeah so, so what's um anyways <laughs> so so with your mastery collective are you guys still working with factor with jay and uh so sadly sadly we're not working with uh factor anymore okay, uh, cool. we're with santa cruz uh I mean, not sadly. I mean, sad we're not with them because they're they're mm. cool, but also crazy mm. excited about Santa Cruz. Um, and uh, you know, it was I love Factor and everything they did for us because we want to be where we are today. And it was interesting, like you know, when we talked to you know Santa Cruz, we were like, hey, like there's you know we we you know we want to. It's not it's not always easy, you know. And I I I didn't come into this side to like go mm. after the sponsors yeah. you know and to every year be looking for a new sponsor i came in to build the relationships and community so then that makes it easier to create things and uh we had a blast working with factor and champion system last year uh but then for this year just as you slowly grow and you start kind of tightening the bolts on the project you just start mm. seeing like okay you know Maybe this is actually a better direction tell me about, for us. Tell, tell me or, about Santa Cruz and, because uh, I'm looking for a, a mountain bike partner for a couple of years from now, and I'm fucking doing a bit of due diligence. And so I'd be interested to hear about Santa Cruz to give me a bit of scope. Yeah. So I mean, it's they started in 1994, so the year nice. I was born. So uh, I was pretty stoked about that. Um, but uh, no, they're just a super, you know. The best I would I would argue the best huh, mountain yeah. bike in the world, you know, company in the world. You, you I, know, yeah, I ride Yeti. Yeti's also up there, and yeah, yeah. So it's you know it's, those bikes are just so good. And what I love about Santa Cruz is really just like the mentality, the atmosphere, and the community of it, of yeah. just like the brand as well. You know, it's not it doesn't limit it, limit itself to just a bike company it mm. it's really a culture you know what's cool about santa cruz now is santa cruz is now like trending in schools so like people are people people just yeah, yeah. wear the shirts you know like my nieces wear the shirts all the time and they have no they had no idea it was like a skateboard yeah. and a bike company and like all these other you know uh it's just like it's cool to wear in the youth right now the culture and so it's really cool that santa cruz understands culture uh, and also racing, you know, this year they brought on yeah. uh, Keegan Swenson. Uh, and uh, so it's really cool how they brought us on, Keegan on. And really it's going to – so to create really something really unique with someone who's really high-performance racing and then you brought us on to really focus on the create – continue that cool creative yeah, aspect. But, yeah, dude, I'd love great. to – I'm, just, I'm just trying to uh, – because mountain biking be, is right. It'd be cool. Honestly, next to – we I, we should do a oh collaboration imagine, imagine chapter three, three. Imagine it How would be just would mega I, like, called chapter three imaginary collective 
It's that's that's off the we, grid. <laughs> this podcast just you know, it, yeah. that's just how it takes off now, man. It's just creative yeah. minds. I've never. This is uh, awesome. I mean, it's what started as just a talk, podcast turned into now. Everyone's listening to yeah. creative. You know, uh, no, it's good. I, I, I haven't even unleashed all the stuff I've got. Yeah, you'd, yeah. What I got to do? What we're going to do in chapter three is just going to be so mega. And it, let you know what we. This is yeah. We need a. We'll probably we need to start. We'll wrap up this uh, podcast, and then we'll keep everyone in yeah. suspense on this because then I'm going to yeah. jump on the phone with you tomorrow. We'll do it around the same time right. and I'll share all my ideas because I think you're going to lose it. Uh, I think I got a lot of cool. Uh, and what's cool is, Girona, are, you, yeah. are you in uh, Girona still? Yeah. So we're, we're uh, working really high. Uh, we just worked with, signed oh, a deal with sure, uh, yeah, Tactic. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah. So we're, we're in, we're in charge of creating their like imaginary. Their, like oh, they'll have an it. imaginary collection yeah, I oh know, definitely. Well, we can. So, I know this thing I want to do with chapter three portraits is just people. And one of the things I want to do with chapter three as well is I don't really care if people aren't wearing our stuff or using our stuff, but it's kind of we'd like to support people. But if it's not, it's like, well, let's just cross pollinate because you never, all these videos are made or, or all these stories are made with everyone wearing the same thing or doing the same thing. And it's like, it's not a real world. So, yeah, we, let's talk tomorrow. And that's that's how the best art is created is through collaboration. Mm. You know, again, yeah. that's imaginary collective. Uh, we want to create with so many people, and I think it's yeah. gonna be cool. I think we could really come out well, with a really well, get, cool collaboration. Because um, I got some big news I can tell you as well that might cross over with what you're doing, which is pretty Radical. pretty big. So I love it. Yeah. Hey, David, I could talk yeah. to you for hours, honestly. Um, yeah. I got no, a jet, no, no. Uh, sadly. But thanks for joining the podcast. I think everyone's going to love this episode. I think it was really, really real, really honest. Uh, and uh, really, I think people are going to love seeing this side of you, this really, really creative side, because I've read your books. Well, you know, you. I've, like, when I was yeah. little, I was obsessed with all that, you know, yeah. with studying my idols, you know, studying those that, that you admire. So I've done that. I know about, your racing, your past. I, you know, I know about Hong Kong. Like, not obviously, I could hear details and stories from you for all days. But what I love is not a lot of people get to hear your honesty towards art and your love and passion towards art. And honestly, I didn't even know Chapter Three meant that—that that it was more of a creative side rather than I thought it was. You know, all right, life before racing, racing. And yeah, life it started linear. Racing. Now it's space. So it brings. Oh. Yeah, I, I think it brings bigger meaning, yeah, and okay. honestly, I love hearing. Yeah, that. It's been a pleasure. You know, it's been a pleasure, TJ. Uh, it's uh, yeah, I look forward cool. to talking to you again. I, I don't. It's um, you're clearly very smart, and I enjoy conversations with smart people. So all good. Let's uh, give it. I appreciate it. Well, you have a great evening, yeah, and lots of love too. to your family, and stay healthy, and keep right, creating. I love it. See you. Chat tomorrow. Say bye. Bye.